Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. Well, it is so good to be back with you this summer. Thank you for that warm introduction, Leonard. Uh, summer is really this time in Chicagoland where it pays off for three months to live here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we get to enjoy some more sunshine and maybe there's more flexibility at work or perhaps you get to take a vacation. And for my family and I, we actually just returned from a vacation a few weeks back. And every year we go to this special little town that has actually been a special little town for our family for five generations. Now, I have to tell you this, though. For five generations, our family has never done this one thing in this special little town in Michigan called Union Pier. For five, for five generations, our family has never done this. We have never rented a boat and actually taken it out onto the water. Oh, the collective size, I know. We realized what we were missing. I mean, we've been a family who more floats than boats, shall you say here? Uh, and so my husband felt uh, incredibly courageous, and with all the courage and zero experience, we decided to rent this boat. And so he does this hard work of, of getting the boat out of the marina by all these million-dollar boats, right? And so we get out into the water, and we are just having a blast. Like the kids are tubing off the back, and the tunes are just blasting from our boat, and so our three hours is almost up, and so we, we head back towards the marina. And as we are heading back towards the marina, we notice this boat that is coming closer and closer and closer to us. And, and if, as it's happening, it's like we, we couldn't break eye contact with this boat. We're like, why is this boat coming closer and closer to us? And what we realized was this was not just any boat. Um, it was a different boat. Could be, let's put up the picture here. Do anybody know what boat this was, yeah, the Coast Guard. I mean, it's nothing like first-time boat renters being pulled over by the Coast Guard. And so this gentleman, he comes over, and the Coast Guard boat actually aligns right next to, right next to our boat protection, right? Yeah. And he, he takes, and he actually ties this rope from his boat to our boat. And he said, hey, good afternoon. Um, we're just doing some safety checks on the boats. And so you see this checklist that he has in his hand. And he's like, I'm going to ask you guys some questions, and I'm going to make sure everything is on board with proper protocol. At, at this point, our kids think this is like, kind of a really cool adventure. And, and my husband and I start looking around the boat for the adult in charge and realize it's actually us. <laughs> and so, um, you know, when you get nervous, you just start asking questions. And so um, I look at this Coast Guardsman, and I was just like, uh, hey, so how long have you been doing this? <laughs> and he's like, well, I've been doing this for two years now. I was like, okay, that's, that's awesome. Um, what made you want to get into the Coast Guard? Anybody in here in the Coast Guard? Anybody? Okay, okay, good. Phew, okay, so, um, so uh, and he said, well, what made you want to get into the Coast Guard? And his response, I will never forget, he says this. He said, actually, my brother joined the Navy, and I didn't want him to show me up in life. And then he said this line. He said, and I realized that if my brother was living a life of help and rescue, so was I. The Coast Guardsmen, this collective group of people who had dedicated their life on mission to helping rescue. 
And I've been thinking about us as we've been studying the birth of the church in Acts. This collective group of people that was growing and growing, doing life together with this vision and with these values of being on a rescue mission to help others. And we learned last week that they had everything in common. They had this vision of doing life together, and then they had these values of gathering, and they had these values of serving, and they had these values of generosity. They had all of this in common. And it has to make us wonder, like, what makes a collective group of people want to do life together? And I wonder if we go one layer deeper to what we learned last week as we actually realized they had all something else in common. They all had in common the need to be rescued. They all had in common this need to be rescued. Rescue simply means being in a helpless situation and unable to save yourself. And if you went one by one to this growing group of believers, you would find out that there were moments in which they were drowning and they were drifting and they were in over their head. And what they did was they tied their rescue to Jesus. You see, the Jewish people were always people who were looking to be rescued. They actually had this legacy of being rescued. Think of Moses in the Exodus. Think of Esther and her people. You had this group of people who were waiting for the Messiah, and then the Messiah came. Jesus came, this group of people who had been with Jesus, and they saw that the realness of his resurrection made way for their rescue. In fact, did you know that this growing group of people at this time, they were not called Christians. They were known by these two phrases. They were known as people who were with Jesus and those who were being rescued. Those who were with Jesus and those who were being rescued. And so as this growing group of believers starts to happen, we know that the spirit is poured out. And this growing group of believers, they have this energy and they have this momentum and they have this earn this energy and this resolve and this urgency to start helping rescue others. And it is with this backdrop, it is with this outflow of the Spirit in which we encounter our passage of Scripture today. Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, you can follow along on the screen or open up your Bibles. It is with this backdrop, this resolve that these people who were with Jesus and who were being rescued now had a resolve to go rescue others. Let's read in Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly this man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I love that line, what had happened to him? Like this happened, this instantaneous, miraculous healing, this time not done through the hands of Jesus, but done in the name of Jesus through Peter and John's hands. And you have to think about Peter and John in this moment, is that they structured their lives for the spontaneity of the Spirit to work. The structure of our lives allows for the spontaneity of the Spirit. Think of how we mainly structure our times. Like if you looked at your calendar, if you opened up your phone, it's usually around time and place. And so the time is significant here. It says Peter and John were heading to the temple at 3 p.m. You see, the Jewish people organized their lives around three times a day going to the temple for prayer. This would be 9 in the morning. It would be 3 in the afternoon. And it would be 9 p.m. right at sunset. And so they organized their lives around three times a day to live out this vision and to live out these values. Think of how you pray before you eat. It is this set structure of your day that allows for the spontaneity of the spirit. And so not only this time is significant here, but so is the place. If we dive deeper to the place at which this miracle happened, it says that this man was placed every day, maybe three times a day, outside of this temple gate called Beautiful. Now, if you saw a visual of the temple, the temple gate called Beautiful was the most popular gate. It was this gate in which most people would enter into the temple courts. And so one time, two times, maybe three times a day, this man's friend would carry him to the temple gate for his best opportunity for rescue, for his best opportunity for provision to survive another day. We read later on in Acts that this man is over 40 years old. People recognize him. One time, two times, maybe three times a day, people pass him at this gate. And so Peter and John, they organized their life around time and around place. And this miraculous instant healing happens. Last weekend, um, we were in this city, and we happened to be walking down one of the streets in Chicago when this beautiful old church was just finishing their Sunday night service. And what I noticed was as people were leaving church, the poor began to gather on the streets. You see people dressed up and taking pictures. And so as the church was exiting, as people who were with Jesus and those who were being rescued were exiting the church, the poor began to gather. The, the gentleman I have circled, I, I just, I really enjoyed him. He had this sign that said, now accepting credit cards. <laughs> I loved it. 
I loved it. He, he was so happy and he was so joyful. And he knew that the steps of this church were his best way for provision for another day. What would it look like if ever increasingly where our feet entered after service in our neighborhoods, at our jobs, in our schools, if those who were looking to be rescued would find us? And what if more and more, maybe we have silver and gold, but maybe we have a prayer, maybe we have words, maybe we have encouragement, maybe we have hope, maybe there's a text or a call, maybe as you're walking your dog in the neighborhood, that people would begin to gather around us collectively and individually to see as their best place for rescue. And I have to think, though, um, Peter and John, right, so they, they encounter this man, and Scripture says that everybody recognized him. And there's some tension in that text there, because it also means how many times did Peter and John walk by him? How many times were there, were there moments that people were across their path, or specifically this man sitting at the gate, and they walked by him? says everybody recognized him. Like, what made Peter just go for it? Like, why did he seize this moment and this opportunity to go for it? And what we can see from this growing group of believers is that they were people who were with Jesus. And they were people who were being rescued. And they increasingly developed this resolve to go rescue others. And I wonder if Peter just had a moment you have a moment where your life like just kind of flashes before you and, and these moments just kind of keep coming up in your mind. And I wonder if in that moment, Peter realized what he had in common with him. You see, Peter was this one man who needed rescue. And Jesus said, hey, Peter, you are going to build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the work of the church. And then here Peter sees this one man sitting outside of a gate called beautiful. And he says, what we have in common is this need to be rescued. And what Peter knew, if you study the life of Peter, is that what is required to do life together with these values of helping to rescue others has nothing to do with always getting it right. Peter got it wrong a lot of the times. He got it wrong a lot of the times. It wasn't about performance. It wasn't about perfection. It wasn't about having the degrees or the skills. In fact, Peter is known in Acts as this common man who knew that he had everything in common. And so what Peter knew what was required for all of us, and this is just incredible encouragement for us, is what's needed to live this life is actually just a resume of rescue. A resume of rescue. That's what's needed is times in which each of us have been drowning and have been drifting and have been lonely and afraid and in over our head. And this resume of rescue for each of us to build allows us to then have this resolve to go rescue others. I think of Peter's life, and two of them stand out to me when it comes to this moment at the gate. You remember the time when, um, when Jesus was walking on water? Time Jesus is walking on water. So he sends the disciples ahead of him. 
And he says, hey, go ahead. I'm going to meet up with you later. And so Peter's on the boat. And they see Jesus walking on water. And as he's walking, they get afraid. They think it's a ghost. And yet Peter says this. He says, Jesus, if that is you, let me walk on water. Jesus is like, oh, all right, come on on, Peter. Let's see how this goes, right? So Peter gets out of the boat, and he begins to walk water. And then what happens? He panics. He starts to sink. He, he gets afraid that this is not really going to happen. And he starts to sink. And what does Jesus do? He reaches out his hand, and he tells him to walk. And now here Peter sees this man who is in need of rescue, and he goes for it. He remembers his resume of rescue, and he says, hey, give me your hand. Get up. We are going to walk. So Peter, in his resume of rescue, he always has in mind, how do I now go rescue? Then there's this other moment in Peter's life where Jesus is about to go to the cross, and he looks at Peter. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, hey, Peter, so some hard things are about to happen. But you are going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. You know, Peter's like, I, I'm good. I'm going to go with you. It's never going to happen, Jesus. His boldness, right? And Jesus is like, okay, that's great. Also, you really are going to deny me before the rooster crows. And so Jesus gets arrested. Peter, he's, he's in the back and he's watching from the garden. And he denies Jesus once. And he denies Jesus twice. And he denies knowing Jesus three times. And what does scripture say? At that moment in which the rooster crows, what does Jesus do? He looks him in the eye. He looks Peter in the eye. And in this moment in which he felt incredible humility, there's humility that is required for repentance. Jesus doesn't let him be humiliated. Jesus goes on with eye contact and says, Peter, he looks at him. And, G and Peter knows what he has done. It says he weeps, he weeps bitterly. And now Peter is at this gate called Beautiful. And he looks at this man in the eye. He knows the power of eye contact, of what can happen. And, and Jesus, he dies, he's raised from the dead, he re-meets Peter again, and he asks him three times, right? He says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Like, he kind of gets annoyed, right? Yeah. By the third time, he's like, yes, I love you. I just love the relationship between Jesus and Peter. And he says, well, then go on and rescue others. And in this resume of rescue, if you and I just took a moment to reflect back on our lives, and in these moments in which Jesus has saved us, he has rescued us, and he has sustained us. You see, this word rescue, this beautiful Hebrew word, is a word called melat. Can we all say that together? Melat. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's right. I love it. Melat. And what's beautiful about this Hebrew word is it means to rescue, to save. And when we encounter it in scripture, it is often paired with also sustaining. You see, there is a rescue of saving. There is a rescue of salvation. And then there is this work of sustaining 
this sanctifying process in which we are now to live, in moments in which we have anchored our lives to Jesus, but man, we can still feel like we're drifting and we're drowning and we're afraid and we are in of rescue. In need of rescue. In need of rescue. And so here's what happens is we tie ourselves to Jesus. And in Isaiah 46 says this, this beautiful word malat. It says, even in your old age and gray hairs, how encouraging is that? Even in your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you and I will rescue you. Last night I was going through my notes one more time and the Lord just encouraged me. He said, hey, just like put your notes away for now and uh, take out a sheet of paper and, and build your resume of rescue. Like build it, like write it down, Jackie. And what he brought to mind was just different moments in childhood, different moments in middle school, different moments in high school, different moments in adulthood, different moments this week, at which the Lord is one who rescues and sustains and rescues and sustains. And this is where then it gets a little hard to know how to respond. It's like if we are those who are with Jesus and those who are being saved and those who have this resolve to now go rescue others, how do we respond to people? How do we have this response? How do we like describe what has happened in our life? Like this is where a lot of us tend to get tripped up, right? And if we go back to the text, I'm so grateful that Peter did this, is that in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3, he actually gives us a framework for how to respond to our resume of rescue. See, in Acts chapter 2, all these people have now come around Peter, and so Peter then has to respond to what has happened. So now in Acts chapter 3, this is what happens, is, is this man is now walking, and what has happened around town is everybody has caught word of it. And so everybody is beginning to gather along the steps of the temple, and Peter knows the number one goal on any search and rescue team is to rescue the most amount of people in the shortest amount of time. To rescue the most amount of people on the shortest amount of time. And so Peter just goes for it. And he has this response. And I think this is really, really helpful framework for us. As we think in one part for us, this resume of rescue, and then we think of how we can respond, he says, well, this happened. Talk about the events of what happened. And then he immediately points to this, Jesus. So let's open back up the text. Pick up in verse 11 with me. He says, while the beggar held on to Peter and John. Don't you love that visual? Like, this guy has never used his legs. And now Peter's about to launch into a preach. And he's like, I'm just going to, like, hang on to you for a minute. He says, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? 
the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though you had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. How about this line? You killed the author of life. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that came through him that has given him this complete healing as you can see. You see, the power of the resurrection and the, this healing was actually the, the groundwork for what put Peter and John in jail. We'll learn about that next week. And so Peter has this framework. He goes, hey, whenever you need to give a response for your rescue, try this. Like, this happened. Recount the events of your story. Recount the events of your life. And in this, he's recounting the events of this beggar, and he's recounting the events of what has just happened to Jesus. And then immediately he moves to this. This happened, this Jesus. You see, he says this phrase, which we have encountered many times, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all these people who were gathered at the steps of the temple would have known what that meant. It would have meant that this is a God who rescues. Anytime you see that phrase in scripture, it immediately brings people back to remember that God is a God who rescues. And when you see these instances in which there is awe and wonder, it's as if Moses is standing by the burning bush. Moses, Mo, Jesus grabbed, God grabs Moses and he says, hey Moses, you're going to go back and you are going to rescue my people. And he shows up in this burning bush. And it's this moment of awe and wonder. And Jesus says this. He says, hey, anytime you see something happen of awe and wonder, remember, I am the same God. I am the same God of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And I get the same glory. So when you're telling your story of rescue and you say, hey, this happened, because of this Jesus, Peter is quick to know what psychologists termed many, many years later is that we can often get a savior complex. We can get a Messiah complex. Is when there is a moment of awe and wonder that happens in our life, we can take on more credit. We can take on more worth. We can take on more power. And Peter teaches us this. He says, hey, when you are telling your story, this happened, but it's this Jesus. It is the same God who gets the same glory. Don't be confused with rescue. You are somebody who is to continually throw out life rings and be on the hunt to rescue. But it is me in which they are anchored to. It is me in which that I will continue to rescue and to sustain them. But Peter, he says, hey, but you're not off the hook. There is a part for you to play. He says, in your framework when you're telling of your rescue, he says, say, this happened. Share the events of your story because of this Jesus. And he said, this is the part for us to do. And it's two of the hardest words in the English language. Say, I'm sorry. 
Isn't it incredible? It's like, no matter what language, those are two of the hardest words to like get out of our mouth is I'm sorry. But Peter has this moment. You, you have to picture this. He is, he is sharing this story in front of everybody and he softens a bit. He actually gives this invitation to everybody he's talking to for this moment of rescue. And so he says this, let's pick it up in verse 17. He says, now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that this Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, that he may send the Christ who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through the prophets. He said, hey, when you're telling your story, just don't forget about that I'm sorry repentance part. Repentance means this. It means that you are headed in one direction with your attitudes and actions that are against God's design for your life. And repentance simply means you are going to turn back to God. You are going to turn back to God, that we would be people who would turn back to God. And that starts with an I'm sorry. And so Peter, he says this, hey, between the resurrection and the return, the return when Jesus comes back and he restores everything, this is our work to do, is that in between the resurrection and my return, we are to repent. We are to turn back to God. And then we are to be rescued and sustained. And then there is this refreshment that will come. And I often wonder, like, I think it's hard to say I'm sorry because uh, it feels like it comes with a cost, right? It feels like it comes with a cost. Like we, we could lose our ego, could lose our pride. Maybe we lose a business deal at work. Maybe we lose a friend. But Peter is fresh to remind us is that with I'm sorry also comes this refreshment that comes from forgiveness. Have you ever been in a situation in which you needed to be forgiven for much? Like you really, really blew it. Like there were moments that you just knew you got it wrong. And somebody extended you forgiveness. And what came from that was like the fresh wind in the shade, in the breeze, right? It was this fresh wind of of refreshment and forgiveness. And on the flip side, have you ever been on the other end where you have forgiven somebody for much? And somebody has said they're sorry to you and you have offered them forgiveness. And there was this fresh refreshment that came over them. And so Peter says, hey, this happened. This Jesus, I'm sorry. And then there is this refreshment that comes. There is this movement that comes. When we move to this ancient prayer that saints have been praying forever, he says, now come Holy Spirit. That the Spirit's work is to heal and to deliver and to provide freedom and more joy and more self-control and more goodness and more faithfulness. And if we jump to verse 25, I love this. We'll end with this text. He says this. 
and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. That what we inherit, that we are actually heirs of this covenantal love with Jesus. And the spirit being poured out, that when we invite the spirit to come and to come, he allows these ways of refreshment in our spirit. The prophet Joel, he started this, right? He said, hey, the spirit will be poured out and men and women will prophesy. Young man and old man, they will see dreams and visions. And he says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this is the final piece of our framework. He says, hey, when you are giving testimony to your resume of rescue, start with, this happened, this Jesus, I'm sorry. Let's be people who say sorry instead of staying silent. And come Holy Spirit. And then he says, now go rescue. Now go rescue. Our simple framework for us to work through as we give a response to this. There's this incredible quote by N.T. Wright. How do you put that up on the screen? And he describes this. He says this. What God has promised for the ultimate future has come forward to meet us in Jesus Christ. We should expect signs of that future to appear in the present. And whenever we are in a mess of whatever sort, for whatever reason, we should remember this. He says this. We are turned back and be rescued people. We are repent and be baptized people. We have the right, the birthright to cash in on that promise at any place, at any time. I love how he says this. No wonder 3,000 people signed up that very day. And in this season of rescue, and in this moment and place, I want us to end with a challenge. And I want us to end with an opportunity. You see, if we are people who are with Jesus and those who are being rescued, and now we have this, this vision of doing life together as people who now go rescue others, I think there's a challenge for us in this when we leave this place. Is that for many of us, those, those first four things, they, they could come pretty naturally to us. It's that last one of now go rescue that gets a bit tricky. It's that part of us that we don't really know who to not walk by or these moments in our life. And I think we can get better at this. I know I can get better at this. The reason that the picture in Chicago was of the man's back is because I actually walked by him. I actually did. And back home, I walked by people in my neighborhood, and I recognized somebody in the grocery store and turned the other way. Like, what if we were people that time after time, we got better at the now go rescue? I wonder if even in the service, there has been a name that has come to mind. There is a situation in your life or somebody's life in which somebody is drowning and needs to be rescued. They need a word, encouragement, generosity. And so I think that's a challenge for us today, is what does it look like to be people who now go rescue? And then before we leave, 
this space, I also want us to just have an opportunity to be rescued. Uh, this message is, is one of, of great depth when it comes to the hurts and the needs that are in this room. And I think of Peter as he stood on those steps and, and he used the invitation. He used the structure of, of a time and a place to offer rescue. And this stat has been rolling around my head is that most drownings actually occur because people were silent. There were actually these moments and people could have been rescued, but they thought they could do it by themselves. And I've been thinking about our vision of doing life together and these values of, of how do we go back and learn these stories of God. And how do we be people who go forward with others? And how do we people who go up and practice the presence of God? And how do we go inside and continue to do our work? And then we're people who go and help rescue other people. And I want us to just commit in this moment to not being a people who will stay silent. Like no silent drownings in here. Can we just agree to that? Like no silent drownings. that what we actually have in common is all of our need to be rescued. And so I love how Tiffany led us earlier. She said, you know, put your hands up. This is a sign of surrender. Two hands up in a V like this is actually the sign to be rescued. I've got one more picture of the Coast Guard here. <clears throat> this was not our boat, thankfully. Um, <laughs> that's not one of my daughters being pulled out of the water. But I've been thinking about this picture when it comes to the vision and the values of who we are. And what does this look like for no silent drowning? And what does this look like, the Coast Guard, what they know, because drownings tend to happen when people are silent, is they have to be very attuned to the people around them. They have to be very close in proximity to people who might be hurting and drowning and in danger and afraid. And so we have this opportunity as we close. I just want to pray over us. And this sign of the two, two hands up is just a sign for rescue. And so if you are in need of rescue today, if there is something in your life that you feel like you are drowning in, maybe it is financially, maybe it is relationally, maybe it is an addiction, maybe there is pieces of your story and your life that you want more healing and more freedom and more refreshment, would you just put your hands in the air? And we are going to be a place of rescue. That's right. All over this place. Look at what we have in common. My hands are up. My one hand is up. Um, I'm definitely in need of rescue from control right now. I feel like the grip of life, my hands look like this, over like this. And so let's be people who reach out our hands and now ask God to rescue us. Lord, thank you for this space and for this time that you are a God who rescues that you are the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that you are the same God. And so in this moment, God, for our hands lifted high, 
you know what is happening in our life. You, you know the stories of our life. And I pray even for those who have never asked Jesus to rescue them. God, even in this moment, everyone who calls on your name will be saved. And so, Lord, we ask for your rescue. We ask that you would be the God who continues to provide and deliver and protect. That it would be this Jesus. And so, God, we repent from the ways in which we have turned against you. And we are people who repent and turn back to you. We are turned back to God people. And so, God, I pray, come Holy Spirit, that you would refresh us now that you would pour more love and more joy and more strength into us as we go. And now as we go, that we would be people who now go rescue. Jesus, we thank you for being a God who always rescues and always sustains. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, if you could stand to your feet you could stand to your feet. It is so good to be with you guys today. I am glad that we don't have to do life alone, that we can do life together. And so hold out your hands for a benediction, and then we will leave. May we be people who turn back to God. May we be people who repent and be baptized people. May we be people who have been with Jesus, who are being rescued and are ever-increasing, developing a resolve to now go rescue. Amen and amen. Go in peace. We'll see you next week.